Let's find out. And voila, I've got it. So uh, we will be doing the next few shows anyhow uh, from from the house. But uh, feel pretty good otherwise. Um, and uh, just wanted to, to give you some insight. If you're a friend of mine and you're listening to this, well, just know were you around me? <laughs> were you around me recently? Did I see you in the last two days? Uh, so if that's the case, just uh, be on the lookout, friends, and be careful. Uh, I'll be I'll be texting the group that I see on a regular basis. Tom, you're one of the guys I'm going to text, just so you know, I got COVID. Oh, okay. Well, that's good news, um, or not. Uh, well, you know, listen, I, I had it last year, almost a year ago now. Uh, so you made it a lot longer than I did. Welcome to the club, and good for you. You had a damn jab before it got you so I'm yeah i know i've had I'm, i've i've been uh, vaccinated and uh, boosted and all that i'm not overly concerned but i um obviously i want people to be aware anybody that's close to me or that i've been around so uh and thanks already for some of the well wishes that you guys uh, have thrown out there i appreciate that uh i think we'll be we'll, we'll be all right we'll be all right um i'm gonna not feel real well i'm sure as the day goes along but uh I need to drink more water anyhow, Tom. I really do. Uh, I will tell you that the uh, energy levels will probably not be to the norm uh, that you're you're used to here on the Jeff Cameron Show. So, again, my apologies in advance. Um, just trying to cobble it together, baby. Cross that finish line together uh, for today and tomorrow and use the weekend to rest up and, and feel better. So, um, we'll see. Hey, by the way. Uh, I don't know about you, Tom, but there, there's a lot of uh, chatter out there. You know, I can't get a confirmation just yet, but it could happen today on the show. Uh, it, it's it's you're hearing a buzz that Florida State uh, is close to announcing a baseball coach. So uh, that, I can just tell you that I'm just going to tell you that it, it looks like this thing is moving forward. Obviously, I would take that to mean I don't know this person hasn't used the name specifically, but I would take that to mean that obviously. Uh, they they're negotiating with Link Jarrett. Um, it, it's just you're, you're using common sense and putting the pieces together, guys. Right? I mean, if you think about this, their season ended um, Notre Dame's that is uh, within 24 to 48 hours. We were beginning to hear uh, chatter that grew louder. Uh, my sources uh, began to to kind of get excited. To be frank about it, um, if you like college baseball, if you love Florida State baseball, and this is the guy that you wanted, then you're going to get pumped up. You're going to get excited. So we'll see. Knock on wood that it is. I can't guarantee you that. I do not know, but I do want to tell you as we start the show today, that buzz is out there. It's getting louder, and hopefully, it happens while we're on the show today. If it does, we're prepared to break it live here. We'll welcome in. Uh, Ira, I do think Gene, possibly, I don't know, whoever would like to join us from the Warchant team uh, that will be providing the story at Warchant.com, and then we will certainly talk it up. But, uh, you know, it's, it's weird. What do you do with that? With uh, It is just college baseball, but I know in this town, uh, it's certainly a, a passionate town and a passionate subject, at least uh, as it pertains in by way of comparison to to college baseball elsewhere. Uh, this is a place that has great tradition, and uh, and people, a lot of people, uh, have made their opinions known for a long time, and they're, they're maybe going to get their wish here. Yeah, again, I, I think for the fans of Florida State sports that don't really you know, care that much about baseball, maybe if they make it to Omaha, but they're the casual fans that drop in on non-football or basketball sports when they're in the championship round. What this signals, again, is that you have a decisive and empowered athletic director. This is just another in the chapters that, that are, I mean, they're rapidly building up in the mm -hmm. Michael Alford book and, and his legacy, we'll see. You know, the, there are going to be successes and failures at uh, the next baseball coach, 
what the soccer coach does moving forward, how the Mike Norvell situation plays out over the next year, and how Michael Alford reacts to what happens coming up this fall. Those are going to determine his fate, but there is no doubt through less than a year of his tenure, my man is quick to move on all fronts with all sports and is spending aggressively. So that's the thing to me that it continues to be the story for Noel fans who care about football first and then everything else secondary is that this athletic department seems to be operating with a chain of command. And if that sounds basic, it's sad that it does, but it's nice to hear that it operates with a clear chain of command and that they're doing so again with a little bit more in the pocketbook than we uh, expected to see uh, for non-football sports before Michael Alford took over. Yeah, it's a fun topic, and it's fun to watch play out because I'll be honest with you guys, for many years covering this football program, basketball program, baseball program, or state athletics in general, there had been an eroding confidence that things could get done over there efficiently, effectively, in an organized manner that resembled that of the most well-run athletic departments in the country. Um, that's not Florida State's reputation, guys. It just hasn't been. In fact, it's been a knock on Florida State. A lot of people over the years have kind of looked at Florida State and wondered how the program, athletics in general, were as successful as they were for a sustained period of time given a level of disorganization is the best way to say it. And that's not me heaping blame on certain individuals within that athletic department, but rather collectively, uh, I don't believe that it was an efficiently run um, athletic department. And I would also note that the old way of, um, I guess, working through the boosters, uh, let's put it that way, that system uh, for, for a lot of people grew tired, grew old. It was, uh, it's where the money came from. The yeses and nos uh, really primarily lied at the feet uh, of, of the boosters and not of an athletic director. Post Dave Hart, I've said it many times, the athletic directors here were in name only. They weren't really directing much of anything, uh, not of any major significance anyhow. So when you had that situation where basically Andy Miller controlled the purse strings, a lot of people uh, thought that that was bass backwards. A lot of people thought that that was an uh, antiquated way of, of doing things. I think in the latter years, that is an accurate descriptor. In the latter years, I think that was true. But it would be foolish and foolhardy to deny the successes that that system produced for an awful long time, 40 plus years. So, you know, there was some good that came with that. It's just that when it was time to change and catch up with the way and the operations that big time college football, big time college athletics work these days, Florida State was behind. And so I preface these comments with all of that, you know, that bit of a history lesson for those that don't know it. Maybe you're younger. Maybe you're a younger part of my demo. Uh, that's how Florida State was viewed. That's how Florida State operated. Certainly that's my opinion, but it's also, I think, largely the consensus of others from afar that cover the ACC, that cover Florida State um, in that regard. And, and, and so what I'll say here is that this is exciting. And I said it when they hired Mike Alford that the president um, is, is not like our previous presidents. This is not a president that has... Um, a long history in which he's steeped in athletics. Uh, he is academia through and through. And so it is going to be very important when they make the decision to hire an athletic director that they get somebody that they believe in and knows how to run an athletic department, has done it before, and by the way, it, it, Michael Alford has, uh, and, and has access uh, to the money people and knows how to marry uh, coaches, players, university, 
boosters, all of it, right? All of us, fans, alumni, all of it. And I also wanted to see if it played out the way that it's played out, which is to say that he now has big decisions to make, very high-profile decisions to make, and his assessment from us as fans, boosters, supporters of four State of any kind, it's an ongoing process. But as we begin, I have to tell you, I think it's a, it's a great day because if, in fact, uh, the, the, the rumors about a soon-to-be-hired baseball coach come to fruition, then, as you said, my man has acted decisively. He has acted with what appears to be, for the most part, total autonomy, and he has acted in a way that I think exudes confidence. Now, he could be wrong. He could be wrong. He could fail across the board. At least we know who to blame. He could also be successful, and we can celebrate his actions. We can do all those things. We're free to do so now in a way that we never were under the previous setup. So welcome to modern athletics at Florida State, everybody. Hey, hey, that's not to say there haven't been great people that came through here in the past. It's not to say there haven't been Wonderful moments. I think we could all point to them. Uh, we all are aware of the successes and failures and everything in between of almost all of the programs at Florida State if you're a passionate supporter. Uh, but I do think that you now have a chance to feel like everybody else does in that we're operating uh, in a very modern manner. Now, we may have some deficiencies still, and we do. Many schools do. Most schools don't have, for example, Texas A&M money uh, or Southern Cal money or even Texas money, let's say. But we're working to that end, and obviously we're now free to make decisions in a timely fashion. You don't feel like you are uh, operating with an albatross around your neck. You know, you feel like now you have uh, a, a willing athletic director that can make observations in which he sees something going awry something's not adding up, then decide to get to the bottom of this and make a decision moving forward. And he can do so decisively, directly, quickly. And that has happened three times, three times already. I mean, I guess you could say four um, because you could look at women's basketball. You could look at Lonnie Alameda with softball and the Rays and the extension that she got. You can look at soccer, as you just alluded to. That situation was less than ideal, but he was decisive once it went the wrong way and went out and got a guy that is extremely well thought of, that has been successful at a place that had very little previous success. So that seemed like an aggressive and good hire. And now if they are able to put their stamp on this one and link signs on the line, which is dotted, well then, if that happens, I think we're all going to be very excited. I, I think, too, it puts added pressure to some extent, maybe even just on the assistants on the football side of things. I don't know that Norvell is any trouble right now, but I think there's a lot of two fingers to my eyes, two fingers back to you for many of the assistants. Uh, I, I think Adam is under an awful lot of pressure. Uh, we know Ron Dugans is under a ton of pressure. They tried to replace Ron Dugans. They went after Penn State's receiver coach. They couldn't get him. He elected to stay there. Uh, I can tell you that it makes the most sense that he would stay there. I mean, the head coach he works for, Franklin, just got a huge raise and extension. There's security there. He's not going anywhere. I think people look at Florida State's situation and think, hmm, I don't know. But uh, there, that's two assistants that I can think of. I could probably rattle off three or four and say, you know, those guys are under a lot of pressure to succeed because even if you don't fire the head coach after this season, if for some reason he fails, I think you will make a move and force his hand with some of the assistants if things aren't up to snuff, if they're not where they should be. I believe that to be true. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. I'll, I'll just go back in time for a moment, though, because the first semester uh, that I covered Florida State sports on the beat was the spring of 2010, and that was a transitional semester for the football program 
But then I got to see the innards of the athletic department at the time, and I just couldn't believe what I was seeing because, you know, you'd grown up and even when I was an undergrad here in Tallahassee, I'd go take classes in University Center D, which is, you know, that is the football area. And, you know, they have since moved the Heisman trophies and the national championship trophies, but those were right there next to the lecture hall that I would go in. And it just, from a facade standpoint, we were at the pinnacle. And then, you know, four years after my first class in that building, uh, I work on the beat and I could not believe the inefficiencies and, and, you know, for lack of a better term, the rust that was inside the building in that facade. And I can't believe that it took this long <laughs> to, smooth all of that out but i mean think about it that was already happening for several years you had been you know uh ringing the bell to make a change sounding the alarm and it wasn't just you know that you're probably louder than a bell unless it's the liberty bell or some such thing but uh yeah you had been making that call for some time for the football program but i just as a knoll for life i could not believe that they were winning in spite of themselves yeah. and even that extended into the jimbo era as well there was there's drama in every workplace but that was an unhealthy level of drama. They were still winning 29 straight through. And a lot of, I mean, you had the chain of command looked like, you know, a zigzag more than a, a straight line, a vertical line from mm-hmm. top to bottom. But now it does feel like we can be in a position for the first time since I started covering this team for this athletic department to be greater than the sum of its parts, which is exactly what you need to be when you are operating at a financial deficit. They've got more money than I thought, but they still don't have as much money as these power programs. I mean, look, Texas today gets a commitment from Arch Manning. You know what that's about. That's about those boosters throwing down and saying enough is enough with A&M. We've got to make a statement for ourselves. And That Arch Manning commitment is a huge one for Texas. I don't know that we're in that position, but in order to get close to that position, you've got to operate greater than the sum of your parts. And we've been operating less than the sum of our parts as an athletic department for the 12 years that I've been around. So... That's just for me, that's the big deal for today uh, and for these storylines as, as they play out early in Alford's tenure. We'll just see who the next baseball coach is. I, I also want to see that big salary. That means that we could be a meritocracy as we talk about these things. And so can other coaches in that department. If they're doing well, they should ask for a raise because now we're proving that we've got money for them. Yeah, you know, uh, that's true, and I get why you would want to see that. I frankly just would like them to get Link Jarrett, and if they get him for five dollars an hour, that's fine with me too. That's more money for football. I, I don't really care what he makes. Uh, I just care that we get him because uh, I think it's a it's a good look uh, to go get him, uh, and I, and I think he'll do a good job. I hear you. I know what you're saying. I'm just saying if you could get him with a hometown discount, well, that wouldn't suck. You know, that'd be all right. I'll tell you what else it does, and I'll do that in a second because there's a bigger picture thing here to talk about, and and I've been thinking a lot about it the last really 72 hours. I was listening to an interview with an NBA coach who got his first job uh, this past year in the league, and, and he said something that struck a chord with me that I think uh, kind of relates to the situation that we as fans feel about Florida State football and in general, uh, about Florida State Athletics. I'll tell you what it is in a second. Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every 
time or your money back guaranteed. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The Jeff Cameron Show is a production of the Warchant.com Multimedia Network. Check out Warchant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's Warchant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3. Jeff Cameron, Show 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Great to be with you. Hope you are well, and uh, I was talking a moment ago about kind of the, watching this play out from afar and watching the assertiveness with which Michael Alford, the athletic director at Florida State, has acted since taking that job. Uh, every situation is different, obviously. Every situation, meaning each coach for each program, uh, you inherit a different set of circumstances by which to operate. That's true of the monies involved, all of that stuff. Uh, it's interesting, but I do think that at the very least, I think on the, you know, you take a cursory glance at this, you are seeing a much more active and a powerful athletic director. Um, and that it's hopeful. And that's what I want to get to uh, is, is this word hope. And I think when you are bereft of hope, as I used to say all the time, verbal crutch, I haven't said it as much because I'm well aware of that verbal crutch, uh, but it is just a, such a wonderful phrase. But when you are bereft of hope, as we were for a very long time, um, you know, apathy sets in. It, it begins to set in, and it's where uh, it's where programs go uh, to die. It's kind of what you've seen from otherwise programs with cachet, real legendary status in the game. Texas, aforementioned Texas, Tom, you, you just got done talking about them. Um, you went to a game there a couple years back and talked to uh, a, a Texas alumni, and you mentioned, you shared, my sentiments about Texas forever being um, on the wrong end uh, of the game against Oklahoma and on the wrong end in the Big 12, despite having huge coffers, despite having uh, access to uh, some of the best players in the country, despite having a rich tradition. Um, and, and those fans agreed. They agreed that that is it's humiliating, it's frustrating, it's, it's aggravating. Well, they had begun for a very long time, and I don't know what it's like today, but they had begun to lose hope that it was ever going to turn around. With each succession, with each passing coach, with each guy they brought in, they swore it was going to be the one. And quickly they found out he was not the one. And quickly that guy was under fire by year three, and they were looking to move along. It's happened quite a bit. Today, perhaps they were fed some hope. Because we all know from having seen Jameis Winston, and really, if you think back on our three national championships, all three quarterbacks won the Heisman Trophy. So we've seen elite quarterback play. We know what that looks like, how big a game changer that can be, how when all else is going wrong, that guy making that pass or that decision in that moment changes the complexion of a game. And I think to some extent, what we're seeing with Mike Alford is just a kernel of hope. Right, just a little bit of hope that we're now in a position to act accordingly, to do things the way that big boy athletic programs do things. And yeah, they don't have the same amount of money yet. Uh, but I think we're working to that end. I think we're trying to act. Uh, I also think the 
obvious. We're coming out the other side of all of the money that we had to pay with. And so they have freed up uh, millions, frankly, of dollars. They have freed up millions of dollars. And that's another reason why he's so the baseball situation. Had they not had the money to perhaps double the baseball coach's salary, maybe triple, you know, the details are when the announcements made of the hiring. But, you know, they were on the cheap with like Gordon Jr. Him in the neighborhood of four hundred fifty thousand dollars, four hundred thousand dollars. Uh, relative to other big programs, a thousand, a thousand. So when they made the decision that this wasn't sustainable, made the decision. The exterior and he was analyzing the situation that certainly saw his own slides at Auburn, where he was watching this team at times. Themselves. He decided to obviously be very active to go and get to the bottom of it. What he realized, well, this isn't going down. This is, we need to act. He could have waited one more year easily. And if we didn't have the money, he would have had to wait one more year. He could have fallen back and said, well, you know, listen, at the end of the day, um, we wanted to give him a fair amount of time. I'm sure it doesn't look good right now, but the Martin name holds a lot of value here, and we wanted to give him a – no, he didn't do that. He said, okay, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you players. I hear you parents. I hear you coaches. I hear you fans, and I'm making a move. And he acted very quickly. Well, the second he did it, he knew that he was going to have to aggressively pursue the next coach. And you don't want to swing and miss. Now, you can. There are other good baseball coaches out there, and the change needed to be made. I'm in agreement with that. But I do think the second you made that decision to fire, you are signifying to everybody, you have the money. You're not worried about money. You wouldn't have fired him if you were worried about money. Yeah, I think the other part is, too, that now you can openly speculate of, if it's 50-50, will he search for his own guy? or his own candidate for the job, or will he stick with the people that are on campus if, if they're not doing well? Like Lonnie, of course, you're going to give an extension to, uh, you're going to give a raise to, because the accolades are there. Coach Krikorian, despite, you know, uh, infighting between those two, I think that's that's open, that's a common knowledge at this point, that those two had a problem, and that's where Coach Krikorian couldn't coexist. He's the hell with this, I'm gone. He still offered Coach Kikorian the most money of any college soccer coach in the land. So uh, if you're successful, he's going to reward you. But the question is, if you're not successful, am I going to go down as an athletic director with somebody I didn't bring in? Or am I going to go down with somebody that I did bring in? And that's where the conversation gets really interesting about eight to ten games into this football season. Because if you win enough of those games, we're talking extension. If you don't win enough of those games, we're using this moment in Florida State Athletics history to say, well, he was he was quick to fire a guy with the baseball program. Will he do it with the football program? Well, I, I, I think the the debate continues to be, you say the extension. What's that record have to look like? Is it a real extension? Are you just adding years to the deal, but no money, no raises? Right. right. Uh, what? How is it you're operating? Um, you know, what kind of... Uh, message are you sending? Uh, because to be sure, Mike Norvell will ask for that. All coaches do because they'll argue, their agent will argue, that without the four years, uh, they can't say to a recruit, I'm here for you. I, I, you know, they have to, 
they have to stutter F their way through that question when the parents say, are you going to be here three years from now? Well, I, uh, probably, you know, they don't want to have to do that. They argue about that. Uh, I think agents have deftly used that as a negotiation tactic over the years. I would love for universities to at some point go, no, we don't, we don't think the kids care that much. In fact, we don't really think it comes up all that often. If you've got more than two years on your deal, you don't need to have five. You don't need to have six. We think that you haven't shown us enough at this point to get an extension with a raise. So we're going to hold off on that. Good luck, buddy. If you if you want to quit, you can quit. Yeah, that's the um, that's the thing that gives me hope here is, is that for the first time, I think you have an athletic director that's capable of saying something like that. I don't know that that's always been – well, I know that that has not been the case since I've been <laughs> covering this team, yeah. this program. Uh, it's just you feel like you have a competent voice and a strong voice in that chair, and that gives me comfort. I didn't know how much it would. I really didn't uh, because I hadn't seen anything like it before. But again, somebody who's empowered can make hard decisions, and they'll do so with more confidence. If you're not empowered to make a tough decision when you have to, you do so and you're timid. And you're, yeah, I think you're prone to make more mistakes. It's just, again, perhaps broken record time. But to see the healthy nature of how the operation is run from the president's office on down gives me hope that when the time comes to make a difficult decision, and, and make no mistake, you know, eight and four or seven and five could be a difficult decision in, in terms of how much you give a raise or a rollover. It just, it, I feel like we're in a position where we're run more smartly. And if you combine that with a collective that continues to raise money, that's the bridge, I think, between where, where we are now and where the sport of college football is going in the near Yeah, you're future. trying to survive till you get there. Get me there. That's that's the whole thing. Is like, can you just get me there? And I feel a lot better about getting there now than I did six months ago. That's for sure. I, I think that's true. The people want, and this is the hope of which I speak, and again, you want some hope that you can invest in a program that you love that they're going to make good decisions, that they're going to build back. I think a lot of people can accept over time that things can go south because they've witnessed it. If you're a longtime fan of sport, of college football, let's just keep it at college football. You've watched all the best schools, the schools with the most national titles and Heisman trophies and the biggest stadiums. You've watched them all suffer at some point. You've watched them all go through what Florida State is currently going through. You've seen many times in which a program that was once powerful fell off a cliff and you were left several years removed from that downfall asking other college football fans when their score popped up on the screen and they're down 21 in a game they're favored by three at home. You've said, what the hell ever happened to them? You know, how is it that Texas or Southern Cal or Notre Dame. It, name your school. Name them. We've seen it. They've all done it. How is it those guys have fallen on these kinds of hard times? Usually that cachet, usually that previous success is something that they then use when the right guy comes in, pushes the right buttons to get back quickly because people are aware that you can win there. It's harder for a program that's never been to the mountaintop. It's harder for a program that doesn't have then built-in advantages, recruiting advantages, the way that Florida State does. Um, so we know that there are some things here that allow you, when operating at peak efficiency, as I like to say, to get back. Uh, there are plenty of things in place that allow for that to happen. Now, you just can't continue to stumble over your own feet. you got to make good decisions. you got to move forward. you got to progress enough that you interest a better caliber of player. And then those kids begin to say yes. Not all at once, but it's a guy here or there. It's a guy here or there. It's a LaMarcus Joyner. It's a guy here or there, and all of a sudden things change. And now you're moving. 
I want to get to the things are changing. We're moving. Yeah, we can't beat Georgia right now. No, we can't beat Alabama right now. No, there are several teams in our own conference that we struggle to beat. Yes, that's true. Can we take that baby step this year? This year, is that the hope that we're clinging to right now? Is that things can get better and they can get better right now and there's a chance that this guy, because nobody wants to start over. I mean, listen, you can talk about, hey, I don't think Mike Norvell's the guy. That's fine. You can say that. I mean, I think I could argue it both ways. If you told me we were going to have a debate tomorrow, like they do on ESPN every day, and you have to manufacture the argument, and somebody says, well, what side are you on? And you say, I really don't have an opinion on this one. They go, well, you can't do that. you got to have an opinion on it. Well, I don't really feel one way or the other. Right now, I think we need more evidence. Well, you can't do that. You're going to have to say something. We need you to say something. you got to have an opinion. You're a passionate opinion, Jeff. Well, which side do you want to be on? Eh, don't really care. I, I want to see how he plays this year. Okay, so you're going to be the anti-Norvell guy. Got it. Okay, I'll be anti-Norvell. Then I would start to put together the argument. I know where I'd start, and I know how easily I could do it, just as I know how I'd rebuff that own, my own argument, right? I would. Uh, Tom would come back with, you got to be pro-Norvell. Well, I know what he's going to say, because right now we don't know. But even if you're the guy that doesn't think he's the guy, you would admit it's not ideal to have to keep starting over, man. Nobody wants to do that. Yeah, I think just looking on the ground at each position group, and obviously we're going through that exercise with our top 40, but we do this all the time. I mean, it's it's almost like list season or uniform talk. You go look at a roster, and you're like, okay, so there, there are your pieces. We just did it. We just did it, yeah. Right, and we just did it for a proper exercise, not just our own fandom. But you go to each position group, Every single one. And you've got at least an answer or two. At least. And, yeah, there are some where there's only one answer that you yeah, feel yeah. yeah, but you know what? How many How many had zero? Like, how many had zero answers two years ago? Hell, mm -hmm. last year, receiver. Who do you feel good about? Crickets. Nothing. The hope of a true freshman like a Malik McClain is the best answer you could come up with. I think he had 12 receptions. Right. So <laughs> 12. And then this year. Micah Pittman's where you start. A healthy Winston Wright is where you go. Hey, if Johnny Wilson could be a situational player for us, and, and obviously that slots Pokey Wilson down to third or fourth, it, you, you start to build these things. And I don't think that's I don't think that's fanish to do. I think you're, you've got a better quality of player at each position, leading the way in each position group than you had two years ago. I know depth is a concern, and, and injury luck has to be had in order to get where you want to go. But you didn't even have an argument in the first place in several position groups yeah. for the last couple of years. Now you finally do across the board. So I think that's where the hope begins. And it's empirically true that you should have hope rather than you're just being a sycophant and, and somebody who you know thinks we're going to go 12-0 and 0 every year. Well, yeah, and you're inclined to want to find the places where hope resides because you're a fan. And you have to be honest with yourself about that process. But then, as you just correctly noted, there are real tangible steps forward, yep. players that have helped illuminate that hope. You see it. So now you really just have to hope like hell, and this is something you can never account for, you have to stay healthy. You, you, you got to stay healthy. I If they stay healthy and they hit on those transfer portal guys on the offensive line, they do have a legitimate chance. I think they're a 7-5 and five team. I think the schedule screams 7-5. and five. I think they have – Way too many 50-50 games to really uh, tell you that I think they're going to do much better than that. Um, I think we counted at one point in time, the last time we did W's and L's, like eight or nine games are going to be one-score spreads. That's, that's very rare that you're that kind of a team, that week to week the spread is two, three, four, 
five. I mean, that's a bounce of a football. That's a, a, a penalty. That's an injury. That's a, a guy making a, a tremendous play. That's a, that's a whatever, dumb luck, injury luck, uh, turnover luck. It's a lot of things that decide a three-point game, a four-point game. It's not. It, it, it can be a singular play, a missed tackle. So when the margin for error is that small, it's just hard to say with any degree of uh, robust certainty that you know they're going to win nine, ten games, right? You can't do that. But I think I can say that they look like a seven and five team to me. And you better beat the teams you're supposed to beat. You can't stumble. For example, you can't lose to Boston College. We all admit you could lose to Boston College, but you can't lose to Boston College if you're going to have the kind of season we are hoping they have. But if they stay healthy, I think eight wins comes into play. And I think if you get extremely lucky, nine wins comes into play. And if that happens, now you're cooking with gas, my friends. Now you have an opportunity. Now recruiting begins to take shape in a way you really didn't think possible or project. And, um, you know, obviously that may be hoping against hope. But it's a logical way to get there. You know, I can also, and I, I'm not going to do it today, I can also go through each of these steps and tell you how quickly we get to four and eight. I can do that too. I don't want to go there. Screw you, man. No. No, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm saying I could logically take us there down the path to a four and eight to begrudgingly you on my screen would be going. You'd, you'd be nodding your head like, well, you know, that's a reasonable point that he's making. It could yeah. happen. Jordan Travis is hurt. End of there you go. Well, we're done talking then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the that's the that's where I'd begin. That's my ace in the hole, Tom. I'd start with that one. I'd throw that one on you, buddy. You'd be like, well, well, there's no coming back from that one. Uh, but, yes, even even if I saved it to the very end, that's my draw four, where I throw down the draw four and say, uno, red. Yeah, that's that's good times. It's Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. The Jeff Cameron Show, brought to you by Orange Theory Fitness, two Tallahassee locations, Midtown on Thomasville Road, and Northside in the Village Common Shopping Center, online at orangetheoryfitness.com. Cameron show. And you know, I, I see a lot of people will point out when we talk about projected records and we talk about what's possible, the good, the bad, and everything in between. We're mentally preparing ourselves all summer long over and over and over again, because we all know just how big a season it's going to be for these coaches, these players, this program. Um, a lot of that talk, of course, as it does with any college football team with any reasonable expectations centers around the play of Jordan Travis and how much, better he has to play for us to consistently um, move the football and put ourselves in a position to win games. And while I think that's true to some extent, you know, I'd love to see us develop some semblance of a drop back passing game, especially in obvious passing downs when you have to have it to be able to stand in there and know that you've got time to deliver in rhythm, back foot hits the ground, throws accurate receiver makes a catch, makes a play after the catch, God forbid. Yeah. All of that would be great. Right. But I think, I, I can caution caution people who think that he's going to take a massive leap forward. I don't think he will, and I don't think he has to. I think he just has to be a little bit better in those situations, and he may be equipped to do so because of Micah Pittman. He may be equipped to do so because year two, 
for one of those receivers that we're holding out hope for. McLean comes to mind, obviously. You know, you learn a lot as a freshman receiver. You learn an awful lot. Uh, a lot of times those guys that do develop into real good players, they really don't do so until you know, we have exceptions. Outliers do exist, I understand. But a lot of those guys, it's year three. It's, you know, it's year three. They have a redshirt year and then a full season, and then maybe their redshirt sophomore year, they're really good, or their outright junior year. Uh, so I know that the numbers aren't great on him. Uh, Malik McLean, I just referenced how few catches he actually had last year. I think we we misremember, as Roger Clemens likes to say, um, how, how good or bad he was because he, we saw him make a couple of really big catches late in the year, and we kind of apply those catches to the season as a whole. But for... Much of last year, he was anonymous. There wasn't much that we could glean from his play. But because those catches happened at the end of the year and his body type suggests that he'll make a lot of contested catches as he gains confidence and a better understanding of what they're asking him to do, I do think you could see him take a huge leap forward. And by a huge leap forward, meaning Malik McClain, 25 catches, Tom? 30? 30 receptions? That, that'd be a big year. It would be, and, and that would be a higher catch percentage on targets as well. Um, it, it's just, it's hard to shake out how you spread the wide receivers across the field, and that's a good problem to have. Let's just say that Winston Wright is not available for the LSU game. I'm just thinking about the LSU game only. Mm -hmm. Micah Pittman could conceivably be lined up anywhere. You could line him up outside the numbers. You could put him in the slot hunting for a matchup, and I, I'm sure they'll move him around. They probably will. That That's ideal because they like to generate one-on-ones anyway. It's the nature of the offense to not just be stagnant and have somebody line up the same place 10 plays in a row. But I would think he'd probably line up outside the numbers more than not. So what does that do for the other receivers? Does that mean Pokey Wilson plays in the slot? Does that mean that Johnny Wilson gets a lot of reps on the other side, outside the numbers, to see if you can generate uh, a two-on-one look for him? Um, and where does that put McLean? So that that's where I'm getting to Malik is – if Johnny's the guy that's lined up outside and Pittman might be, I'm having a hard time finding a natural position for McLean to line up unless you're in a four wide spread set. Right, right. So that's where going to camp actually is going to be pretty fun to see how they shuffle these things around because it's not, there's no more experimentation time. Maybe for a week when you're in shorts, you can line up and see how things go. But beyond that, we're, we've been talking about it for weeks on end about the offensive line. You, you, you got to find five that you like and let them start to work together and build that chemistry. Well, I think the same is true for the receiving core because potentially speaking, there are a lot of options where you can line up a lot of these players, but they've got to carve out a role so they know where they are on a third and seven in a do or die situation. They know this is where they're yeah. lining up. This is the depth of their route. And Jordan understands and builds the chemistry from there. So yeah, Malik McClain, a big step for him would be to catch 20 or 30 uh, passes this year. And I think also that would be a big step for two reasons. It also means that he's climbed up the depth chart. You know, just because he's a holdover doesn't mean he starts at the top. That means he would climb over a couple of guys for a lot of snaps on the field. Yeah, I'm rooting for it. I just think it's logical to expect a, a leap forward in his overall understanding, acumen of the game, and how physical he is uh, at the at the at the moment of contention. Right? Like, I think that's a guy that can take that next step because he showed some signs. I don't think he's going to be an elite receiver. I just think he can be a productive receiver, and that's what we're looking for, far more production from role players, from guys that don't have to be stars. I don't know that they have a game-changing wide receiver on this roster. The closest is probably Micah Pittman, but they don't have a game-changing player that you look out there and you go, oh, well, 
you know, in a pinch, uh, Peter Warwick is going to make a play. They, there's nobody that resembles that. We don't have those Alabama receivers that you watch every time you watch the national championship game and you go, well, Jesus, their fourth receiver is infinitely superior to our best player. You know, it's like that. that's we're not there. You just need your role players to be productive, to know their roles, like you're talking about, Tom, and, and to play with some confidence. Well, and here's a place where my eyes already roll internally, but I'll speak it aloud because I think it's true. The bubble game should be stronger on the perimeter this year. Oh, yeah. Pittman runs tougher, but you've got Johnny Wilson who gives a damn about blocking. So does McLean. I think you're, you're building a culture to where those little BS passes out to the flat might actually get you five or six yards and put you in a second and four and allow for you to go tempo in a drive. I, I just I feel like that part of the offense has been a laughing stock, even going back to the end of Jimbo's time. No, it was Olay Central. I mean, think about it. Nooney Murray back in the Orange Bowl before he made the catch against Michigan, the deciding touchdown, he turned a guy loose for a hit. I forget who the receiver was, but he turned a guy loose, Olay. Yeah, let him blow him up, yeah. And it's been that way for years. We've seen a couple of examples of a, a receiver making a good block downfield and staying engaged, but sometimes they're just not good at it either. I think that is part of the offense now that I'm not saying you could count on, but it's not going to look hapless anymore. And, th and that spreads the field wide. Now you've got slot defenders creeping out towards the perimeter, creates rushing lanes. I just I feel like there's a lot of momentum here for this offense to have more balance this year, and that's what you need. If you have balance with Jordan Travis at the helm, that means he's going to have running lanes for himself as well and be more explosive. Well, and a couple of things just to expound on that as we wrap up the hour. I, I, I'll say this. I think that – that game against LSU, I saw Ryan mentioned it on the post. I don't see 13 having a lot of clean pockets against LSU. No, there are a couple of games this year we can't block it up. Uh, I, I think we're going to have a hard time blocking it up against Clemson. I think we'll have a hard time blocking it up against LSU. They do have three guys projected to the first two rounds of the NFL draft and that defense up front. That's a problem. Um, so I, would, I wouldn't go into that game with the mindset – that this is going to be a time for our new look, more balanced uh, offense. I would, I'd roll his ass out. I, I, he wouldn't be sitting at that pocket for very long. I would tell him this is going to be a basic game plan. You are going to make a decision. It is there. It is not there. If it's not, you're going to run or throw it away. That, that's what you're going to do. We're not sitting back here going to our third and fourth progression against this defensive line. And I think they'll understand that. If they don't, they will probably pretty early in the game. But against a lot of the other teams, you do have a chance to better block it up and create the balance you're talking about. Yeah, well, I mean, again, just if you can win a one-on-one -on -one matchup on the outside, that by itself creates be nice. more balance. And, and I think that's what he's going to be in position to, to throw towards this year. Now it's just you got to finish those plays. But I would even think that going through the progression in this offense to get past progression two, it's like if you look at a, a pitcher's pitch usage and he's got that. Remember, he's got that circle change. He breaks it out once or twice a game. Every now and again, let you know it's there. That would be the drop back passing game on a on a neutral down and distance for Florida State this year. I I would never see it as a primary part of the offense. It's just you do want to be more multiple. So it, it's amazing what they can do without receivers that can catch and blockers that can block in the running game. Imagine what they can do with that running game if you have yeah. a receiver that can catch and an offensive line that can every once in a while block instead of never block against a good D-line. Yeah, I said that uh, oddly in the midst of a 5-7 and seven campaign that featured some embarrassing moments that there were enough moments that I actually, even in losses, at times came away very impressed, very impressed with how many times he created one-on-ones. You can't create one-on-nones. 
those don't typically exist. If you create one-on-ones, that's about the best you can hope for. And those running lanes of which you speak, they'll be there this year. And Trey Benson, I agree, Garrett, could be a home run hitter in the backfield. I don't know that we have it at wide receiver. I do think we have it in the form of Benson in the backfield. Hour number two, fourth coming. Stay with us. Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV.